Welcome to the Phoenix Nest, the podcast where bad bitches read romance. I'm Jess. And I'm Kat. And today we'll be discussing Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye. But before we get started with that, we'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe on your preferred podcast app so that others can find us. We'd also like to remind you that you can find us on Instagram at the PHX Nest Pod and on Twitter at PHX Pod. You'll find those links as well as the link to our blog and email address in the show notes. Now, to look. How did we choose this one? Um, well, I feel that it was a big influence from reading Alicia Rye's first book because, well, I enjoyed it very thoroughly. I know you did. Yes. It was like a two-to-one split for us because Bethany did not enjoy it at all. I think it was a matter of, like, personal taste and, like, feeling... <laughs> feeling called out on a lot of the topics that are in that one. Yeah. Um, but you and I both enjoyed her first book, I uh, The Right Swipe. Her first traditionally published, because I think it's yeah, the most traditionally published book. Yeah, let's put it that way. Her, yeah, more like widespread, mm-hmm. or widely known. Um, but you and I both loved it, and it was one that I led, and it made me cry a lot. It did. And so... Um, when this was announced that it was going to be released, we were like, oh shit, we have to do that. So we made room in our schedule, moved the next three <laughs> books back a little bit so that we could do this one. Yep. Um, because even though we read all kinds of, you know, books, we wanted to be really, I guess, on trend for what's going on in the romance world. And um, this is just the most recent one that we were very excited about. Yeah, I think this is the one that, um, I mean, we have a couple that we were really excited about for the releases, but they're from authors that we haven't read yet, and uh, they're, they're brand new releases, you know. New or they're like sequels. We have a yeah. couple sequels. There's a couple sequels. Like, I just finished, um, I got an arc of the Tessa Bailey um, Tools of Engagement, which was yeah. really exciting. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. However, I was more excited about Girl Gone Viral. Um, and then also shout out to Alicia Rye for releasing a book in the middle of a global pandemic. And not only that, but, um, she's an author that I've noticed just seems to manage her time really well. And she probably wouldn't agree with that based on her Twitter, (laughs) but she always responds to people and she's always talking about like what she's doing. And she just seems to really kind of have it together from what I can see. I tweeted at her and thanked her for this book because it made me feel like home and her response was good that's exactly what I was hoping for and And we also tagged her in our Instagram and she liked that too yeah so that was really cool we we just really like her a lot she's really sweet she's really sweet yeah and and listen we've never met her but we're already best friends with her Alicia if you're listening just know that we love you a lot and we would love to meet you once this pandemic is over and we're allowed to meet you and see some of your crazy purses oh my god her purse collection is the best she always shows like ones that she loves and they're so cute they're adorable i don't even like purses very much i bought the smallest one i could possibly buy recently i think it's crazy <laughs> if i can fit a book in my wallet and chapstick and keys that's literally all i need in a pack of no gum. you need so much other stuff no i don't carry it sanitizer Ugh. 
No, you do. Hand soap, man. I had like a full-on emergency kit. So I know. I it, know. Okay, but it saved my life a few times. <laughs> it has. If I'm caught in places you're not supposed to be. If I'm caught in an emergency, I'm fucked. That's just all there is to yeah, it. I go buy stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> Kat, do you want to start us off and read the synopsis for of Girl Gone Viral? Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, let me get a light on this though. We're still in a box. Okay, but I know we're like saying it like we're kind of complaining, but we're not really because it's very useful. Listen, I got a rug for my apartment. I made these crazy boxes out of weird bed foam, and we're we've got our heads shoved in them, and the sound is. Uh, a lot better than it used to be. Okay, so but we're welcome. doing better than, than the first uh, one we did in these boxes. Also, I'm seriously considering getting some, like, uh, battery-powered little string lights and putting them in my box. <laughs> I want you to know that. Are we going to have a decorate the box challenge? You know, I'm not opposed to that because I have some real cute, like, cactus string lights. Oh, my God. And How then I, would be, I wouldn't have to use them. Anyways, here we go. Um... So this is, okay, so part of this is reading a text. So this text, um, or I guess, I guess this one's Twitter. It says, OMG, wouldn't it be adorable if he's her soulmate? I don't see any wedding rings. Breaking, hashtag cafe bay and hashtag cute cafe girl went to the bathroom at the same time. One minute, Katrina King is enjoying an innocent conversation with a random guy at a coffee shop. The next, a stranger has live tweeted the entire encounter with a romantic meet cute spin. And hashtag Cafe Bay has the world swooning. Going viral isn't easy for anyone, but Katrina has painstakingly built a private life for herself, far from her traumatic past. Besides, everyone has it all wrong. That hashtag Cafe Bay bro, he isn't the man she's hungry for. And then here's another text that says, he's got a peach emoji to die for. With the internet on the hunt for the identity of hashtag cute cafe girl, Jack Singh, Bodyguard and possessor of the most beautiful eyebrows Trina's ever seen, offers his family's farm as a refuge. Being alone with her unrequited crush feels like a recipe for hopeless longing, but Katrina craves the escape. She's resigned to being just friends with Jax until they share a single electrifying kiss. Now she can't help but wonder if her crush may not be so unrequited after all. I love it. Okay, first of all, we didn't put this on our list, but now I need to ask, has there ever been, and you don't have to tell me who, Oh no. has there ever been a specific body part or feature that you've been absolutely obsessed with that's, like, not classically sexual? Like, it's a non-sexual part of someone that you're like, oh my fucking god. So, like, um, Sebastian Stan's butchin? <laughs> really into the butt chin? Only on him. Oh, what? Only on That's him. That's even more strange. And then, um, oh god, Natalie Dormer's smile, but specifically her smile, and but uh, nothing else. No, like I, there's more about her that I think she's pretty hot, but her smile alone, her smile looks like she is going to. Make your your mother fall in love with her. Okay. Like, that's, you know, oh, my goodness, that's my daughter's girlfriend. I love her so much. And then she's going to tie you up in her basement. Oh. Like, it's it's one of those smiles where she looks really sweet and mm-hmm. innocent, but also sinister at the same time. That's scary. Uh, <laughs> it is, but if you, yeah, it's it's a sexy-ass smile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Little danger never heard. Right? Exactly. Uh, but, yeah, definitely Sebastian Stan's weird butt chin. Um, 
and uh, that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't think of like specific things. Uh, Stanley Tucci's forearms. Really? <laughs> Have you seen Stanley Tucci's what? forearms? I. <laughs> You're learning so much I've about me right now. I to look at him, and that's only maybe because I've only seen him in like a handful of movies, and I've never once been like, oh. Damn, look at those forearms. <laughs> Stanley Tucci, um, if you haven't seen on Twitter, someone has been posting videos of Stanley Tucci making cocktails. Okay, and he has delicious forearms. Listen. Is it because of the cocktail shaking? Um, a little bit, yes, but also because it's Stanley Tucci. Like, you know how you've got... <laughs> I feel like I have to justify myself now. Um, so you know how you have, you know, your your celebrity crushes? Sure. Like, I have a list of my yeah, celebrity crushes. Yeah, you have a very long list and with very specific <laughs> reasons. Okay. Yeah. But if we're talking about that, that particular list, that's the list of celebrity men that I would be willing to call daddy. That's a different list. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So terrible. Everyone's learning so much about you, and I'm so happy. <laughs> okay, so, but you have your, like, celebrity crushes where you're, like, like mine, um, I'm really into Sebastian Stan, Chris Evans, you know, that thing. But then you also have that one celebrity or that couple of celebrities who are older than you, okay. but you're like, God, I got a mad crush on him. Um, mine is Stanley Tucci and Clark Gregg, who plays Coulson in the Avengers movies. <laughs> So weird. That's so weird. <laughs> you can't tell me you don't have a celebrity crush who's older than you. By like a I lot. Mean, not really. I no. okay. So all my life I've never really understood why people have crushes on celebrities. Oh, as I out myself. I'm, no, I'm it's it's literally been like this like my whole life. You know how like people are like in love with like a certain movie star and stuff? I just never really did that. Oh Kate McKinnon. God um, damn. <laughs> There's a lot happening right now. I mean, there are some that I like more than others, but not the not the way that you you <laughs> accumulate. I guess. Um, God, like I don't know. I feel like the the hunks are the ones that everyone else thinks are hunks for me. I guess. I mean, yeah. So that's they're fair. not. It's not like something like, oh, have you seen? Um, I will say that more often than not, I'll be like, oh, damn. That's like a hot football player. And yeah. I've even like, <laughs> I know I sent you pictures. Kat sends me pictures and Instagram links of all these like, <laughs> okay, football and basketball but, players. But the, I, I guess it's because they're tall and I'm not tall. That's part of the allure of it. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's a thing. That's fair. Know? That's but fair. I'm not the only one in that. But like, I would definitely say people like uh, Kevin Love, mm-hmm. I find absolutely precious and delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, God, who was the one that I sent you? Oh, Travis Kelsey, who played for the Chiefs. Yep. He's a little hottie. Um, Isn't he the one whose girlfriend at the Super Bowl came, like, running? There was, like, a Twitter video. Yeah, I think that was there. Where she's, like, bouncing and she's telling him how proud she is and stuff. Yeah. That was really adorable. That made Romance Landia swoon hard. Um, Because he's just so precious. Sure, I don't sports, and I don't know any of these people. And if it weren't for Kat sending me like links and explaining who these oh, people are, and then I would the people have I went to high move. school with. Like, I had major crushes on the uh, basketball players from high school, but they're also really like, you know, like dumb jocks. They're not dumb, oh, but yeah, like, you know, they're real broy. And I was like, mm, I love you, but stop farting. 
Like, gross. I'm, okay, I wish that was, like, a joke, but it's not. Oh, no. And, um, now they're, like, big famous stars. That's so weird. And I'm, like, this is so weird that I know you. I would, You probably don't remember me, but. I would. Anyways. I would like to, I like, the reason why I have celebrity crushes is because I know I never have to see their human side. So, like, I could be in love with Chris Evans. I know he's a total bro. Oh, I am in love with Chris Evans. You have a whole Pinterest board, the same as okay. I do. Okay, but not because I'm in love with him. Because I think you pretty. He's pretty. He's so pretty. He's so pretty. He just looks like, I don't know, so relatable, like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. He just shaved his dog recently and did a terrible job of it. I saw that. It's adorable. But, like, fair, because shaving dogs is fucking hard. <laughs> so, uh, let's move on from weird celebrity crushes and Stanley Tucci's amazing forearms. Specific weird smile <laughs> analysis. Oh, it's so good, though. Kate McKinnon has a similar smile, too. Kate McKinnon, but hers isn't just a smile. Hers is also a crazy eye. Yeah, she gets those crazy eyes pretty quickly. God, I love her. I... I would do anything. Like, you know how you're like, I would do anything to meet my celebrity crush. I don't want to meet Chris Evans or Sebastian Stan or Stanley Tucci or Natalie Dormer because I feel like she would step on my throat and I wouldn't know what to do. Kate McKinnon, however, I would do anything to meet Kate McKinnon in person. I don't know why. I fucking love her. She has a cat that's basically her baby. Like, I have a cat who's basically my baby. I just, I need to meet her. Uh, So... (laughs) So anyway, um, Girl Gone Viral is the companion to The Rice Wipe. Yes. Um, I wouldn't call it a sequel because a sequel, we're going to follow the same couple and we're not following um, Rhea and Samson. Yeah, um, which is fine because they, I felt like their book was really like well wrapped up. It was. I felt it the same way and I feel the same way with this one as well. Um, but I'm glad that she chose Girl Gone Viral to be Katrina's story mm-hmm. because she was really intriguing in The Rice Wife. She was. And she was just like this person where you didn't ever get to know enough about them. Yeah. And you wanted to because they seemed so wonderful. She seemed so amazing and I wanted to know more about her. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Alicia, for making that happen. Um, yeah. How did she know? You did a great job. We love her. <laughs> she didn't know, but that's what we wanted. <laughs> I, yeah, I just I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit of a synopsis uh, in your own words? Because you read the back of the book, but now tell us a little bit more in depth what's going on with this one. Sure. So, um, Jas Vinder. <laughs> I love him. They call him Jas. Mm-hmm. He is Katrina's bodyguard, and he's been with her since her marriage to his boss, Hardy which I thought was his last name through the whole book, and it's not. His last name is Aurora. Yep. And um, so he's referred to as, like, the, the man who makes the jewelry and stuff in, in the right swipe. And we find out more about him in Girl Gone Viral. But what happens is Katrina has, you know, gone through a lot of therapy and stuff because she was kidnapped at one point when she was married to Hardy. And um, she's going through a lot of anxiety of having to be in different places and trying to will herself into like wanting to date and stuff. And so she knows a lot of the local restaurants that are around her very nice and large house. And she's made a deal with herself. If I can go to 10 places, I can start dating. And she's finally at that goal. Mm-hmm. So she's in one of those cafes and she's meeting with her therapist, which I think is really cool. If you have a therapist that'll like do that for you. Fuck yes. That'd be pretty awesome. 
Um, and her therapist seems really fun too. Yeah. <laughs> she's very like um, not ruthless, but like no bones about it. You yeah. Know? And I think maybe that's the kind of therapist I would be. That's the therapist I need so bad. Right. Just like listen, you gotta get your shit together. Um, but so she wants to hang out, and Jas is you know doing his bodyguard thing, and she chooses her favorite table, and she goes to read a book, and some guy sits down next to her, and she's like, oh man, maybe I'll get those feelings, maybe I'll get those zings, and she doesn't. And she's kind of disappointed, and she's like, whatever, it's fine. And this guy even, like, asked her out and was kind of flirting with her and, like, showing her pictures of his mom's dog and, like, whatever. And all the while, the people around her are, like, furiously typing on their phones. And it turns out that they're actually taking her photo with this man and, you know, creating this love story that we talked about in the back where... Where they're like, oh man, they're so cute together. They need to go out. He's asking her out. Oh, they both disappeared. All this stuff. And um, so it turns into this like snowball effect. And she becomes the girl gone viral. Because you can't really tell who she is in those pictures. And then the guy from that tweet. Like that was pictured with her. Is like, oh yeah, we definitely went on a date. I don't kiss and tell. Blah, blah, blah. And he's really playing it up for his own purposes on Twitter, which is real gross. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Ugh. Yeah, he is iffy. And so she's having, like, essentially having a meltdown where she is having anxiety and she's not doing her normal routine. And she's just, you know, glued to her computer to watch the numbers come in and watch what's unfolding about herself in, like, this horrified car accident can't look away type of thing. Mm-hmm. And Jas is like, dude, we, you can't do this. Let's go. Like, what do you want to do? And she's like, I feel like I want to get away from everything. I don't want people to find out where I live. And they're basically, like, challenging people to do that. Which, also, don't do that to people. That's so creepy. Yeah. And so, at the same time, Jas is trying to figure out how to deal with his own issues. He's got PTSD. Um, not only from being in the military, in the army, but from an incident in which we'll get into later about where he's injured. And his family's been pressuring him to, like, come back to the farm, come back and visit us, come back for this great ceremony. And he's always like, no, no, no. But as soon as Katrina's like, hey, I need to get away, he's like, I have a perfect place. It's secluded. It's a small house on the farm. No one will know who you are, and they can't find us and all this stuff. So he, like, sweeps her away and drives her all the way up to Northern California. And from there, just a lot of his family stuff unravels. He finally figures out that he has, like, real feelings for Katrina. And she returns those feelings, and they find a dog and name it Doodle, and get to keep it. I love that name of Doodle. And then she, like, um, Katrina meets his family, and that actually goes well, even though it sounds like it doesn't. I don't know. Do you think it sounded good? Um, I it sounded thought stressful. It sounded so stressful, but that's mostly because of Jas's um, grandfather. Yeah, he's kind of a crotchy old man. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But what are you going to do? So, anyways, she decides that she wants to fight this and not just, like, cower anymore. And that includes contacting her abusive father, who is a huge, giant, awful asshole. Ugh. We'll talk about him. And so she goes back to her own home, and she's like, listen, here's what we're going to do. And all her friends help her, and they're amazing. And she is like, I'm in love with Jax, and Jax like, I'm in love with you. And it's like another HEA that we all want and deserve and need in these current trying times. And they kiss and everything is almost perfect. And, and she gets to touch her eyebrows. <gasps> eyebrows. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off a little about um, Kat's background. Uh, Katrina is a former former model. Like um, a teen model. Yeah. Like a sensation cover girl. She ends up with her dad when she's, what, nine, I believe, if I remember Yeah, correctly. her mom dies. Yep. And so she ends up with her dad, and he capitalizes on the fact that she is mixed race and beautiful and basically throws her into modeling. And she has all these beauty expectations that are placed on her, and um, those beauty expectations kind of... Um, kind of aided in the the growth of her anxiety because you know katrina's got anxiety i'm not going to call her cat because she doesn't like being called cat um and we have a cat already get confusing (laughs) Uh, so it it aided in her anxiety in a bad way especially since whenever she's having anxiety times they're like you're fine like there's nothing physically wrong with you and she would go to like doctors and stuff and they're like it's all in your head you just have to, like, try to get out of it. And her dad really pushed her. Yeah, don't, first off, as someone who has anxiety, don't ever tell me it's all in my head. Fuck off. I know it's all in my head. That's not helping. Um, so she has this anxiety, and she has all of these beauty expectations. And uh, she meets Hardeep, and when she meets him, she realizes that the expectations are still kind of there. Mostly because she placed them on herself. Mm-hmm. Um, Hardeep is a well-known man, so she wants to make sure she looks good as well. And when he passes, she kind of realizes, I don't have to be that person anymore. And lets her beauty standards on herself slip a little. Um, she doesn't have to be real thin. She can gain some weight, and that's okay. She can eat things that make her happy, and that's okay. She doesn't have to look 100% amazing 100% of the time. Um, how did you feel the beauty expectations were handled in this? Um, well, when she starts describing her dad and how he handled that, like, her smiling practice and singing and all that stuff, um, the process that he used was the same process that we've read in one of our historical romances. Mm-hmm. And, <coughs> sorry. and that makes me wonder how often that happens in real life. Like, the starvation of your child if they're not performing well. And I think that is, like, one of the creepiest, manipulative things you can do. Um, I really appreciated that she didn't need other people to tell her she was pretty anymore. Like, she grew up saying, you're pretty, you're pretty, and, like, that's what mattered. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, she went through a lot of therapy, but she finally got to a place where she was like, I know that I feel good in this body, and I know that I feel good more so than I have in the past. And I think that's such an important lesson that, like, you are your number one and you should make sure you feel good. And if you don't feel good, then you're in charge of your body. And, you know, learning that you have control over yourself, especially as an adult, is something that's really, really difficult. And I appreciate that they, like, never hinted that Jazz was only after because she was pretty. And I think that was a way better foundation for their relationship. Yeah, they didn't, it wasn't based on how she looked. It was Mm -hmm. based more on who she was as a person. Mm -hmm. And often it talked about that she, the most beautiful thing about her was how kind she was and how she nurtured herself and nurtured others. Yeah, And that's not something that's usually appreciated because it's an expectation in women. And um, I like that that was, you know, very readily pointed out throughout the story. 
that, that there weren't any expectations only because she was a woman. That's that's what really got to me. And yeah, she was cooking and baking because she wanted to. Those are things that she enjoyed. She had her um, her sourdough starter. First off, we're in the middle of the pandemic. I'm surprised I haven't started a sourdough starter yet. <laughs> One of our friends, he wants to make bread. And he's like, I don't have a starter. That's the hardest part. And I was like, I, don't, I can't help you there, man. Like, <laughs> equal parts flour, equal parts water, according to Google, is what I found. I have everything I need to start one. I and just like starter yeast, right? Um, not always, because what you're doing is, is you're letting the water and the flour ferment, and it mm-hmm. creates its own yeast. It's, it know. sounds disgusting. That's why I haven't done it yet. But uh, she's got the sourdough starter that was her mother's, and her mother loved it, and that was something that was kind of passed on to her from her mother. So she, the only thing that she's doing that is traditionally feminine is she's doing it because she wants to do it, not because it's expected of her. And that's something that's really important to point out. Like, just because you enjoy doing those things doesn't mean that people should try to talk you out of those things. No. And I think that's something where people are like, well, if you are a feminist, then why do you cook? And it's like, well, because everyone should cook. I mean, like, how else a, are you going to eat? That's <laughs> a thing. Like, why is that a masculine or feminine thing? Yeah, it's, it's Even fun. baking. Like, for the love of God, if you want a cookie, make a fucking make cookie. cookie. It takes... Some practice, let me tell you. Grocery store cookies aren't always the best. Oh, they're so now. sad. Oh, they're really salty usually too. Ew. Uh, so, <laughs> so we can actually move in um, from her beauty expectations straight into the um, abuse that she endured with her father. Cat um, mentioned kind of the punishment that she would receive for not being perfect. And that punishment being, you know, he would lay out a spread of food on the counter and say, you can have all of this only if you are perfect. And every time she misstepped in his eyes, he would take something away. Um, there was other abuses as well. A lot of manipulation. Tons um, of it. Like, especially the who are you with, where are you going, how long will you be there kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But not only that, um, a lot of emotional abuse and blackmail later on. Like him making sure that he got paid to be your manager, and but like really paid, you know, T- mo- taking almost all of her money. It was mostly his. She didn't get hardly any of that. Um, and then him like needing to be paid off. Yeah, at the end. But you know what? The best part of that whole situation. So this whole going viral thing mm-hmm. is not a thing that she enjoys. She wants to be very private, and there's multiple reasons for that. Um, her anxiety, her PTSD, all of those things, those it, those beauty expectations that she thinks the world has placed on her, um, you know, they're very they're very anxious things that that are part of her life that she doesn't want to be there. She wants to be a very private person, and going viral doesn't help that. And in doing so, her dad sees it and kind of recognizes that that's his daughter, and kind of comes out of the woodworks. And she says, you know what? Instead of hiding from this, I'm going to face it head on. She actually uses one of his abuse tactics against him. And I thought that was the strongest thing I had ever seen in a character getting over the abuse and basically turning it back on her abuser. I will give you all of this only if you do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And for everything that you misstep or everything that you don't do that I want you to do, I'm going to take a little bit of of it away. Um, You know, she wrote those 10 checks and every time he took too long to answer a question or he wouldn't answer a question, she'd take one of those checks away. Yeah, every second he refused to do it, she asked. He'd take, she'd take one away. 
And I thought that that was pretty empowering, you know, for someone who... And she said it was one of the things that she had, like, fantasized about doing to get back at him, um, but had never, like, had the balls to do. God, I was so glad she got the balls to do it in the end. I was so proud of her as a character to just finally get it together and be like, fuck you. You don't own me. You own nothing about me. And if you so much as think about doing anything, she recorded the whole conversation and made him admit to all of these things that he did to her so that if he tried to retaliate and come back, she's like, no, no, fucker. I have the proof and I will take it to the authorities. And And I I feel like that's something that's a pretty common fantasy if you've ever been in like a really manipulative relationship Mm -hmm. where you're like, oh, I would give anything to have the balls to do this. Yeah. And she actually gets to do it, which makes it really relatable. I, yeah, you know, we talked in the last episode to, uh, sorry, we're recording these back to back, so I'm very fresh in my mind what happened in the last episode. Oh, sure. Um, we talked about the character development and the characters uh, in that book and how we didn't really see any. Yeah. We literally watch Jazz and Katrina grow as characters from start to finish. And I think one of the huge differences is that these were two people that already loved each other. Yeah. And that love wasn't, like, turned sour, like, diluted in any way by any of the extra stuff that came up. No, no. Well, and it took them a while to have the conversation to begin with. Um, It was very unrequited, so they thought. Yeah, years. Years of unrequited. Like 12 years or something of him being in love with her. Yeah, it was a long time. Because he says from the moment he saw her, he knew. The first time when she was getting married, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they have, we'll get into that in a minute, but they have a quick, quick marriage. Um, But it it was interesting and it was amazing, especially coming off of the other book, Mm -hmm. to watch these two characters grow. And not just grow as themselves, but grow together. Because they had to grow together and then also grow individually themselves. Mm-hmm. The, the support that they got from one another was one of the highlights, I think. Yeah, and it was support from each other. You know, I'll support you in this endeavor and you, know, you support me in this one. And it was interesting to watch them grow together and then also grow individually in themselves. Um, that's not something that we normally see a lot of times, but I think that Alicia is really good at doing that because she did something similar in The Right Swipe as well. She had these two characters that had to grow into themselves on their own and then had to do it again as a couple. And I think she did it really well and she continues to do it really well. And I think it's also a really good example because I think often people feel that if they can just get the right significant other, that everything will be fine. But that's not true. No, because you you can meet someone that you think is the right person, but you still have a lot of things on your own end that need to change for yourself. And then as a couple, you have to work together to make those things work. Yeah. Relationships aren't magic. They're they're just fucking not. They're not magic. You have to work at them. That's why I'm not married anymore. (laughs) Because I didn't want to work at it. Fuck that guy. Uh, And I'm really fucking gay, so there's also that. Uh, So how does Katrina and Hardy, how do they meet? Um, So Katrina was forced to go to a party. And her dad was like, you're not coming home, and you need to talk to people, and you better do that. And he just, like, left her there by herself to, like, I guess socialize or network is his thought. It was more networking. I think so, because that was when she was modeling. 
And she was like, man, I don't want to be here. And she thought she would, you know, escape a little bit. And she went to the library of this mansion. And she walked in to these two men talking in Punjabi. And um, the one guy was like, ugh. And the other guy, who happened to be Hardy, was like, no, no, come on in and chat with me. And so she sat and talked with him for hours and was, like, really open with him about her situation with her dad and stuff. And he provided an escape for her by marrying her and paying off her dad to never come near her again. And, you know, she kind of fell into that veil of protection that he enjoyed extending to people. It was the ultimate marriage of convenience. The only time I feel like a marriage of convenience works because they did love each other, but they didn't have a romantic relationship. No, they didn't. It was a friend's relationship, and he got her out of a situation that she needed to get out of. Mm-hmm. And he knew that by doing that, he could teach her to be her own person and to help her. And with his guidance, I mean, look what she's done. She's basically, she funds all of these things. She funds the entirety of Rhiannon's, you know, dating website and all that crazy stuff like Mm -hmm. she's a silent investor and everything she does all these great things she knows how to work money she knows what she's doing she's an entrepreneur on her own and it's because of Hardeep's help Mm -hmm. how many times do you read marriage of conveniences especially in historicals where you're just like this is dumb and I don't like it well it's all about saving someone but in like a really different way than this was and you're like oh so it's more about them being like poor and you know, not having a station in life and, like, that kind of stuff. This was not that. This was to free her from some emotional bonds that were super unhealthy. They were so unhealthy. And I'm glad that she was able to meet him because where would this book be outside of that? You know, what would her yeah. her life be like? Uh, obviously, it wouldn't be great. Her dad was a piece of shit. Uh, let's go into let's do the hard stuff first okay let's let's move on to where our, should we start let's move on to the ptsd between both jess Bittner and katrina okay and their mental health issues okay um so we've talked about katrina's anxiety already mm-hmm. and what triggers that but she also tends to have like nightmares and stuff because at one point she was kidnapped yes and she was held for ransom for $10 million. <laughs> and in the struggle of her being moved from, like, was it like a hotel room? Or something it was like, like a seedy, not great it was, place. She was, like, blindfolded and stuff. Um, the man who had kidnapped her cut her down her cheek and left a gnarly scar there. So she's got physical and emotional scars. Mm-hmm. Um. So she has PTSD, especially when people, like, take her by surprise because she was kidnapped. And so one of the things that she does to cope with that, she has security all the time. But when she's, like, <laughs> when she's, like, extra jumpy, um, she has a more difficult time even with the security that she knows. Yeah. And then um, Jas was, he, he joined the military, he joined the army, and he was deployed in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And... During one of those things, one of his, like, God, what was his job? I can't remember off the top of my head. I thought he was a ranger. I think so, too, but he was doing, like, a specific job. 
Yeah. And there was an IED, and there was, like, this rumor that someone had been setting the IEDs. And so they took that man to um, question him. And then one of the other people, one of the other rangers that he was with, kind of lost their shit and was going to, like, murder this guy because he felt like even though they hadn't found anything that proved that this man was guilty, he felt like he was. And so um, what happened was Jas and his other soldier, um, Lorne, yep. rushed this guy, and this guy shot at them, and he, like, really messed up Jas, right? So between the, like, <laughs> not just the normal, I hate to say that's normal, you can see, but he, like, can't handle, like, fireworks and large crowds and the heat. And guns. And guns. Guns and, specifically. And, you know, all kinds of that stuff. He also has, like, physical scars from that leg and that knee being messed up. And um, the, like, step further of this was that that man went to jail, right? And yeah. he was going to be pardoned. And it was because, like, he had a family that was well-connected. And they were like, no, he was just doing his job. How can you expect a soldier to do their job if they think they're going to be in trouble? When in reality, he had tried to, like, murder someone and then had injured his his fellow soldier. So there's just a lot going on. And neither of them are super comfortable talking about it, even with each other for the majority of the book. So that's pretty normal. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you don't really like to talk about your traumas. I mean, we've all got some trauma a little oh, yeah. that we don't really particularly enjoy talking about. I know you and I have discussed our own personal traumas before, but I feel like, first off, that was after years and years of knowing each other before we even brought any of it up. Yeah. But they both have their own, you know, their own scars, both mental and physical scars, and they work together to mm-hmm. kind of get over them. Um, yeah. The whole thing with uh, Jass and that pardon is that it's not just a pardon, it's a full pardon. Like, and oh, sorry we put you in jail. <laughs> so sorry, we didn't mean to do we, that. We shouldn't have done that, buddy. And that's, for someone who's a victim, that's just a huge slap in the face, especially because all of those soldiers were court-martialed. And when you're court-martialed, you have to go. Yeah. You have to be up on the stand and telling your side. And for military stuff, that's like a really big deal. And um, so that was just, like, an additional difficulty knowing that he could very well be thrust back into the media and not wanting to be. Well, and not only that, but he was concerned about Katrina the whole time, too. Like, if he gets thrust into the media, isn't his job going to come out as well? And then that's Mm going to go on to her, and then she's going to be thrust into it as well. And there's all of that stuff. But it's, it's so difficult for the both of them to kind of get over what's happening in their lives. You know, they can't control these things. And they're both in situations where they want to control the things, you know. Yeah, and that's just something, especially, um, like, they were pretty aware of their triggers. And that, in, like, its own twisted way, is really fortunate. When you're not sure of your triggers, it's not a good time to be caught unaware. Um, and it's like generally not the other person's fault or not like anyone's fault and you just aren't aware of what's going to set you off and that can be really really difficult to come to terms with i think alicia rye did a fantastic job of not only explaining the triggers portion of this and like the aftermath of it but um 
the scene where Gas finally decides to cut, cut like kind of come clean mm-hmm. to his family, and he's like he's sweating and he's nervous. Anytime you have to drop big news on someone that feels super big to you on the inside, where you know that you're going to be like you're gonna uncontrollably lose it, and then you have the added pressure of thinking people aren't going to understand you and they're going to judge you. That's like a really difficult thing to um, to get across in writing because it's such a personal feeling. It's it's difficult. It's hard. Um, you know, anytime you have to do any of that, it's not a good time. But she did such a good job kind of putting you in the emotion. Because I, I don't know how you felt, Kat, but I was nervous for him. Um, that was one of the scenes that made me cry. See, I was waiting for one of the ones that would make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I cried like three times, not like 20 times, like the last time we read Alicia and I. I don't know. As someone who has had friends and family with PTSD and has had to hear them explain things or have others explain it in their stead because they're having an issue and can't explain it themselves. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was very close to that feeling that you get. Because it's really, it's, it takes a lot of inner strength to explain what's wrong. Yeah. And how you feel victimized because it's different for every person. So, like, you could say that you don't like firearms. Totally fair statement. But if people push it and you have to explain why you don't like firearms, you've been shot at, you've been injured, you've been in a war zone. People don't always leave you alone. Like, they just don't accept that. Well, that's And that's really difficult. And especially his family was so nosy. Yeah. And I think that was, like, an added pressure on top of that. But, like, also fair. Well, and it kind of goes to being pushed. I mean, there's that gun that was sitting on the fireplace mantle, and he took it off the wall and took it back to the big house. And he had it logically. Like, I know it's unloaded, and I know it's not from this century, and it won't work, but it cannot be in this house. Yeah. And he gets kind of pushed a little. It doesn't belong here. That belongs in your house. Or why don't you keep it? Or, you know, things like that. And his grandfather has a really hard time understanding it. He just doesn't get it. Me and his grandfather just struggle to understand each other, like, on a base level. Oh, like my sister and I used to. Mm-hmm. We figured it out. Uh, and they do eventually figure it out. They, you know, they, they come get, to kind of a truth. Yeah, you know, they, they've got their truths. Yeah, but grandfather is still a little conniving, a little... little Crazy old man plan. Yeah, yeah. I still love him a little bit. Um, let's go into the entire reason why I sent out the tweet thanking Alicia and um, saying that this book felt like home. Um, it's, he takes her to this really small farming community up in Yuba City, California. I am from a very small, very, very small farming community. We didn't grow peaches. You wish you did. (laughs) We wish, right? We had citrus and lettuce and tomatoes and melons and broccoli and cauliflower, all that fun shit. Um, But it felt like home because of how small it it felt in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe I remember reading at the very end of it. I'm a sucker who reads it literally start to finish. So, like, I'm talking, I go through the copyright page. I read the acknowledgments in the end. The whole thing. Um, she had gone through and kind of said, you know, I went up there to see what it was like mm-hmm. in that area. And she did such a great job explaining farming and how farming communities work 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, how did she not grow up in this area? Um, she did a fantastic job, and it felt like home. It felt like going home and having my meddling family and friends from back home <laughs> saying, where the hell have you been? And being really, really fucking nosy, asking what's going on with my life. Um, things and stuff, and that's all you get to know. Uh, how did you feel about it, coming from a city? Um, well, yeah, I've grown up in Tucson for most of my life. I lived very, very briefly in a, a very small town um, of less than 2,000 people, but it was not necessarily a farming town. Like, there are farms around it. Um, but I would say that most very small towns are very much built in the same way as a community where you, like, know everybody. Yep. And it's, like, I only lived, I lived in Benson for, like, I don't even think for a year. But, like, we always were down there and stuff. And, um, it creates this sense of, like, everyone knows who you are. And so even if I were to go back now, there are people who are, like, oh, I remember you, or I remember your grandma, and, like, I haven't been there in forever. But, it's a weird just, like, link because anytime someone found out that I had lived in Benson or, like, my mom was from there and grew up there, they'd be like, oh, do you guys know so-and-so? And, yeah, they, we did. <laughs> I get that here. Um, every once in a while, I get a couple customers who are from Yuma. And you're like, wait, what? They come up here, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm from Wilson. And they go, oh, my God, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, I do, actually. That's really fucking weird. Um, I came here for a reason. <laughs> leave leave Welton and Welton. Don't bring it to me, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, everybody does know everybody. I mean, I couldn't sneeze without somebody calling my parents and saying, <laughs> hey, Jessica just did something. Like, let me let me live in peace, please. But then there are like really sweet sides to that too. Like um like in in the book they talk about like being able to walk into a restaurant and knowing that like whoever the owner is is going to take care of you, the aunties, right? Uh, yeah, we have that there too. Um, in a yeah. little, little restaurant called Geronimo's. Uh, we had the same table every Thursday night. See, <laughs> and that's just how it was. They knew that I wanted a bean and cheese tostada, no salsa, please. <laughs> See, and everyone in Benson knew my grandmother, and it was like a result of her just living there since oh dear God, since the sixties. I mean, I my hometown is so small that my high school, you had to pass a cattle farm. It was seven miles <laughs> away from my house, which was already on the outskirts of, like, the main part of town. Mm-hmm. And then you get to high you, you get to the high school. I went to the same high school that my dad went to. See? And I'm that's, like, like, crazy. Like, the entirety of the science wing of my high school was brand spanking new my dad's senior year of high school. Oh, my God. And it was old as shit when I went there. That's so weird. He, I mean, that's just, that's how small my hometown was. And mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, we raised, we raised show rabbits <laughs> when I was a kid. And, you know, you auction off your rabbit at fair at the end of the fair or whatever, and everybody would bid on your animal because they knew, hey, that's the West girl. Um, you know, I knew their grandfather who's no longer with us or whatever. It's just how small towns are. And reading this small town, I was like, oh, shit, this is home. <laughs> and I have no desire to go home. I'm going to say that right now. So if you're at home, you know, back home. Too bad. Listening. <laughs> If y'all want to visit, you're welcome to, but I ain't going down there. It's dusty, it's hot, I'm not doing it. No, thank you. You can come up here. There ain't shit out there to do. <laughs> See, and I go, I go back to Benson every once in a while, 
um, but for like a really specific reason. <laughs> and yeah. it's not to like go hang out with old friends because I only went to kindergarten there. So like all of my kindergarten friends, first of all, tell I have no idea who I am. And second of all, don't live there anymore. <laughs> um, as far as I know. Um, but like, it is a weird feeling to know that like, through high school, and somebody be like, oh, wait, you're from Benson? And then they're like, do you know so-and-so? And I'd be like, yeah. They're like, oh, they're friends with your grandma. And I'm like, of course they are. Or, like, I once had someone drive me to my grandma's house and point out the house that they used to babysit people at in that small town. Oh and I was like, that's weird. And they're like, do you know if they live anywhere? And I'm like, I have no idea. And then friend would be like, oh, this is so-and-so's cousin's house, and this is my aunt's house. And I'm like, what? Like, I live, I live, Jessica. <laughs> I want you to understand something. Okay. <laughs> I lived three houses down from my high school sweetheart's cousin's house when they lived there. How weird. So he lived there, just we were both tiny children. <laughs> that is so weird. I, yeah, um, no, uh, my town is so small that I worked in a family restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this family restaurant, the owner of the restaurant, literally has known me my entire life. Isn't that weird? I went in for a job interview when I was 18. She looked me up and down and says, I remember when you used to run around this main like, dining room floor, bored out of your mind, because your grandparents and your parents were talking, and they wouldn't let you leave yet. And I'm going, oh, Lord, have mercy. Please do not let this be the story that tells me that I can't have this job. Like, I want to get paid. Um, I did get the job. I worked there for a couple months, and uh, I got the best tips ever when people realized who my grandparents and my parents were. Oh, that's a <laughs> I had one guy look at me at and go, man, I missed your grandfather. He was my best friend and left me a $20 tip. So you, sir, are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the heritage in this area, um, U.S. City, California. Okay. Um, so the heritage here is, a, how do I explain this? It's very different from like what we would see here, but it's also the same pattern that you would see um, where you have a lot of immigrant families, which is what we have in Tucson. Mine was, um, my whole hometown was Hispanics. Um, yeah, that's most of what our immigrants are here. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of Asian immigrants here too, um, and more recently, uh, people who are coming out of like Africa. Yep. We don't have as many from the Middle East as other places do. No. So we do really. have a significant like population. But the majority of our immigrants here are Hispanic. So it's really important to note that not just because I mean, we're talking about immigration, but what happens in this book is we talk about how the first people to come over, that first generation of people who are setting up the land and working the really difficult labor jobs are fighting to be able to buy their own land. And once they're able to do that, they're able to raise their first generation, which is where you get that term first generation citizens or Americans, um, to help care for the land. And that's what Jass's grandfather is. His father bought the land and then created this peach farm. And now he's the peach prince. And, um, it's just, it's a very significant thing because if you're not from a family who's had those steps to take, it's very, very different. And so what happens is you create these pockets within cities or smaller cities where the population is a higher um, percentage of people who have immigrated there 
sometimes from the same places, sometimes from all over the place. So if you look in, we'll use Tucson as our example because I know about that one. My grandfather came from China and he, you know, he came here because his father was from China and had come here and then sent for him to come to, to California and then Arizona. And so there is a very significant Asian population and that Asian population is in charge of, well, not in charge of, but they had a responsibility of creating different things. So like my grandfather owned one of the first Chinese markets and um, other Asian families that we know opened some of the first Chinese restaurants. And so like that's because is, then we later worked with one of the rival yeah. families. And so you find out those things and there are little things in there where you do have family rivalries like the one I've explained to Jessica before, which is really funny. Now it's funny. Probably not so much in like the 70s. It was hysterical but, um, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but you have these pockets of things where where these people have worked super hard. And in this book, they've worked the land and they've made something of themselves. And it's kind of a legacy. And they're hoping that they get to pass it down. But one of the important things is that you pass it down to your blood, right? Yeah. And that's where the kind of sticking point is between Jas and his grandfather, because he has a stepbrother who fully wants to work this farm. And he's like, he keeps thinking, well, why would he will it to me and only to me if my brother wants to do all this work and all this stuff, right? And then in the end, we find out that that's, the grandfather's actually not an asshole. And he each, you know, gave them each 50% of the land. But it's really important to understand that history because it's very rare that people who come to America keep their own ways. Yeah. And that's something that part of this book is talking about trying to keep. So they have like a history museum and they have this, this just like huge amount of pride in what they've done and what they're accomplishing and rightfully so. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm a white girl. Fucking say it. <laughs> I was, um, that's the real reason I'm on this, isn't it? So I can explain things. <laughs> no. No, that is not the real reason. I just, um, but it is helpful. I, um, I was one of just a handful, honestly. Like, if I think about my friends growing up in my classrooms growing up, you could spot the little white kids. Like, you could count how many white kids were in the class, and it was not as many as the Hispanic kids. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have a lot of that information in regards to, like, how my mom's side of the family came over here. Mm-hmm. Mom is probably going to listen to this and go, yes, you do. I don't remember, mother. I can't <laughs> remember how the Sicilians came over here. I remember that they didn't come through Ellis Island. They came through Louisiana. That is Slightly all. Slightly different. That is all I know. I don't remember why we went to California. <laughs> don't ask me. I don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about my dad's side. My dad didn't know a whole heck of a lot on his own due to weird family stuff. And I don't know anything about it because of that and because he's no longer with us. Yeah. But to, for this little, little area, um, in the acknowledgements section at the very end, because I'm going to go back to that, mm-hmm. you know, she go, she gives the history of how the sick people came over and how they weren't technically allowed to own the land. And right. how they got away around the not marrying outside of their um, their nationalities, you know, 
by marrying the Hispanics in the area because as far as the white people were concerned, your skin is brown, your skin is brown, perfect, you can marry each other kind of thing. Um, I think that it's difficult to look back on that history. Um, I actually really appreciate Alicia Rye for putting that information in the end of the book and giving you the history of the area and how that worked. Mm -hmm. But I also think that as a white person, I have a lot to be thankful for, for the immigrant families who came over here and worked as hard as they did. Um, I am simply but a white settler. (laughs) My, unfortunately, my people came and essentially just took over the fucking land. They didn't give a shit. And, um, this country is based on the immigrants who came over and worked for a better life. So thank you to the immigrants. I appreciate you a lot. Um, and thank you to Alicia Rye for putting all of that history in there. Cause I wouldn't have known. I have no idea. I know that my hometown is predominantly Hispanic because it's a border town. Uh, that's, that's all I can tell you. I can't tell you anything else. It's a, <laughs> a border, little bit different. It's a border town. I, there's nothing special about it. I mean, it's, it's literally on the border. Um, a lot of the uh, people that work the fields are migrant workers. They come from Mexico to do the work. And if anybody ever wants to say anything about, you know, the Mexicans coming and taking your jobs, fuck you. Because I can guarantee you as a white person, you don't want to be outside in the middle of summer picking watermelons. And uh, just remember that when you drive your shitty 1990 Honda and they're out there in their brand new trucks because they put the work in. You didn't do shit over the summer. Um that's my soapbox. I'm going to step down now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of just privileged white people that don't understand what it's like to work in a small farming community and how things fucking work in the world. And they all suck. Um, Let's move on to happier things. Let's move on (laughs) to what I want the next book to be about. Oh my God. Can I guess? What is it? Lakshmi. Okay. First off, I love Lakshmi and I would die to have her book. But I don't want it to be, like, the next, next one. Maybe, wait, if I can get Lakshmi and this couple. So, Jasvinder's stepbrother is gay. Yes. And has a fiancé. I want to know more about them. I want to know so much about them. If Alicia could make that happen with Lakshmi in the story, that'd be great. Because I would lay down my life for that woman. I just want everybody to know that. (laughs) Um... How how was it for you to read um, a secondary romance? Essentially, I mean, it was it was not necessarily secondary in that it was the main romance, and then there was another secondary romance that we got a lot of information on. But how was it to read a romance with um, two gay men that are also people of color? Um, so this kind of caught me off guard. Partly because I was so into reading the interracial romance that I was already reading <laughs> in, you know, Katrina and Gaspender. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like it more caught me off guard because, unfortunately, one of the stereotypes that goes with a lot of, especially, like, old school or what you consider, like, conservative people of color is that they're not very accepting of people who are gay. And... Um, while that may be true, that's not always true, and that's, you know, why it's a stereotype. And so I think that's why it caught me off guard, just because it was casually thrown in there. Like, it wasn't a big deal. No one really made it into a big deal, which I truly appreciate, because if you're in a family that's really supportive of you no matter what, they need to mean no matter what. 
Yeah. And so this was like a really refreshing surprise, I felt. Um, especially finding out that another thing that I think happens in ethnic families is that you want, they want you to marry someone who deserves you or you deserve them in terms of like education and standing and money. And, um, so while both of these men are very successful, like the farming is successful and then the therapist is successful. They're just very successful in different ways. And it's just a really good reminder that just because someone's successful in one thing doesn't mean that's the same way you're going to be successful. And I think it was just a really nice added romance. See, and I love it. There wasn't a big deal made of it. In fact, there was so little deal made of it that I had to read that sentence twice to make sure I read it right. <laughs> it wasn't a typo. It wasn't. Well, the it biggest wasn't even deal. a shock to me. It was one of those, oh, yeah, they're gay. That's cool. And then I went, wait, 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 wait. Go back. What? Wait, they're gay? <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm here for it. Um, and I think that it was kind of fun because the bigger problem was that um, the brother... God, what's his name? Why can't I remember names today? I can't either. But, but that's because we also read this one a couple weeks ago as well. At least I did. But like, oh, Bikram. Bikram. I should it have came to that. me. I had to pick up the book. Um, But I think what was really funny was that he's more offended that Jas is like, yeah, go get married, instead of being like, you're too young. You can't be in love yet. Like, all this stuff like being a typical overprotective big brother <laughs> and then jazz is like dude do, do you think i wouldn't like do a background check on someone you're going to marry <laughs> like come on like i'm the big brother but i don't have to be like overbearing about it but like i also get you do want certain people to be more protective of you than others so i get that too my little sister is pretty protective I'm gonna just say that she has let me know that um if I ever start dating again, that she is going to come down and make sure that my prospective partner knows where they stand in the family. I'm like, don't make scare sure them. Make sure your prospective partner has a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> yeah, my sister talks a lot. I love her a lot, but Jesus. Um, so let's go into the last thing before we do our reviews. Okay. Uh, I know specifically you wanted to talk about this one is the taboo relationship between a bodyguard or the protector and their rich client. Okay, yeah, because we don't normally see this in, like, a romance setting, or at least not one that I can remember. Like, we have bodyguards, of course, and, like, romances, because they get really out of control about being, like, trillionaires and billionaires and stuff. And we also had a, a, a rich woman, as opposed to, like, an overbearing rich white dude, which was really nice, because I don't like overbearing rich white dudes. Yeah, not so much. How are you, Jeff Bezos? Ugh. <laughs> don't even don't get me started don't on him even. um it was just nice to see someone who is committed to their job which is I feel always a, a good sign if you are good at your job and you can do it and you care about it that's fantastic um but just in the different ways that he cared for Katrina I don't know that he knew he was expressing love for her in those ways and she clearly didn't know. And until, you know, her obsession with his eyebrows started. I love the obsession with the eyebrows. His werewolf eyebrows. Werewolf eyebrows. <laughs> That's what she calls them. They're so perfectly forked. They're so great. I liked that we got we got a trope that we don't see a lot of. Uh-huh. And we got it done well. And 
I think one of the bonuses is that he didn't treat her like she was a child or that she was helpless, even though he fully understood her background, like, for the most part, right? Yeah. Um, he never sheltered her to the point of, you know, where, where it's driving me crazy, where it's like, good God, just let her eat some cereal or something. <laughs> let her make some fucking cinnamon rolls uh, and leave her alone. He did do a couple things that would traditionally be considered overstepping. Like, when he was worried about her losing Doodle. Oh, yeah. He was like, give him five grand. And his mother's like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> I will give him $500 for that mutt. And I was like, see, that's, that's something that would be overstepping. Like, no, we'll just pay them off and they'll be fine. Um, but it was for sweet reasons. It was. It wasn't it was. for weird, creepy reasons. It was for sweet reasons. Yeah, it was fine. It was just, it was just one of those things that, um, could have gone really, really poorly as a character development detail. Yeah. But it went really well. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad she did it. There were several tropes that I didn't know that I liked until I read this, and it's probably because everyone else has done a piss poor job of it, and I think Alicia Ryan could write a fucking grocery list and I would read it happily. Ooh. So. Fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's, uh, Girl Gone Viral. Um, we actually really loved it. Did it make you want to have a water balloon <sighs> More than anything. Like a sexy water balloon Oh my god, he brought out the hay bales, and I was like, oh no, does he, he has to know, she doesn't know, hay is so fucking itchy, y'all. It's dusty, <laughs> oh. It's the absolute it worst. Too. It's scratchy, and it's itchy, it's, awful. it's horrible. But then it was fine. Because then it was snow, or not snow, oh my gosh, water balloons. It was water balloons. Because she wanted snow, but there was no snow, so you could have a hay bale fight. Ugh. How did she grow up in California and she never had a snow cone, though? I don't know. Snow cone took, like, thing? legit. We did, okay, y'all, we just had Raspado. Oh, yes. My, like, favorite thing in the whole world. And I feel like everyone needs to have one. <laughs> so this whole, I've never had a snow cone thing is really upsetting. Yeah, we just had mango Raspados, and they were the best thing. In the entire world. It was a lot of mango. They were so good. They were delicious. They were great. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. (laughs) And try to make it at home. Yes. Because you totally can. It's just better if someone else does it for you. (laughs) You pay like $2 and get it. It's a drive-thru. It's amazing. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) anyways... Uh, scale of 1 to 10, cat. what are you at? One, 1 to 10? We're doing it to 10. Can we up it this time? Only because it's Alicia Rye and I feel like we need it. Ooh, alright. Oh, ooh, baby. Um, I, okay, so you're gonna think I'm crazy. I'm gonna give it a 9. Okay. But only because, comparatively, the right swipe tore my heart in pieces <laughs> and then stomped all over it, but then put it back together. This was like, Super cutesy love story, mm-hmm. which is everything I want yeah. in a love story because it's like gentle, but deals with like real life things. This was your wheelhouse. Yeah, this is yeah. Alicia Rye's writing is just definitely a thing for me, you know. And so yeah, we're gonna do nine. There, I don't think there's anything wrong with it except that I was just so into the right swipe, <laughs> and not that not that I was comparing them directly. Um, I don't feel like I did that because I feel like that would be setting anyone up for failure. Oh, yeah. Um, But just relatability of the story for me was just a little bit less 
Yeah. Although I, I, I agree, I would also stroke someone's eyebrow because it's sexy. Uh, yeah. I, I think I've we've had that discussion. Beard, so. You have. Uh, so you give it a 9 out of 10. I'm going to go ahead with a 10 out of 10. Damn. Uh, straight out the gate. Not even going to try to hide it. Um, I have, I don't relate to characters very often. Mm-hmm. And I have some pretty. See, and I do. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's why my ratings are really high. I don't often relate to characters. Um, Katrina has some crazy anxiety. I have. And it was well written. Yes. I have pretty severe anxiety myself. I have those days where I can't leave my house. I totally related to her on a visceral level. Um, there wasn't any point in time where the character was described in a certain way that I didn't understand because mm-hmm. I've never lived that. It was described and I was like, yeah, been there. Ooh, girl, have I been there. You know, you've got your anxiety attacks in the grocery store. Uh, you've got to pull over on the side of the road to take a breather every once in a while. There's not being able to leave your house. Oh, man. The not being able to leave your house is pretty rough. Um, just Katrina, just know that you can order your groceries online and pick them up <laughs> if you are a real person. Because that's what I do. That's what I do to avoid a lot of that. But um, yeah, a full 10 out of 10 for me because I related so hard to the characters. The story was so well written. And um, I loved the right swipe. I loved it. But I also love this one just as much. It it was so well written. And yeah, and and fact check. And yes, and fact check. She's one of the only authors where when I read something, I'm like, that's probably true. Whereas other ones are like, mm, no, I'm going to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me look that up on my own just to make sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, not only was it relatable, but like I, I tweeted out, it felt like home. It, it felt like going home without physically going home, which is not something I want to do. I don't want to physically go home. <laughs> so this was good enough. <laughs> yeah, this, this was good enough. This was like a little treat um, of, of going back to my hometown without actually having to go back to my hometown. So um, thank you for that. That was amazing. I fucking loved it. And I'm so glad, Kat, that you were like, we have to read this. And I was like, yes, we when do. When I saw her announcement on Twitter, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> More books. But that's okay. We will take Bikram and his fiance story or Hassan. Lakshmi. I, I want Bikram and Hassan and Lakshmi. Oh. There are a lot of possibilities. Yes. Okay, but I desperately need Lakshmi. Like, desperately. I adore her. I fucking love her. She's such a badass. She is, and she's got great style. Oh, I love her. Uh, so anyway, uh, next time we are going to be reading a historical. Yay, it's our first one in a long time a now. long time. I don't count the dragon one as historical, that's why. No, well, we can't, because it's technically modern times. Um, they time travel. When? I don't know, that's what the back of the book says. That's a lie, they came from that other book. Fuck off with that book. <laughs> uh, so the next book that we're going to be reading is The Beast of Beswick by Emily Howard. Um, I chose this one because it is historical, but it's a Beauty and the Beast retelling, and I'm a little bit soft for those. Uh, so join us next time as we discuss The Beast of Beswick, and uh, remember, bad bitches read romance. Bye! Bye.